Trials are a part of life and something we all encounter. We'll show you how to get through them while maintaining a godly perspective today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. As our world is in the middle of great turmoil and many are discouraged and afraid, we can turn to the solid ground of Scripture for hope and encouragement. When times are tough, the book of 1 Peter is a good place to turn, and that's where we're headed today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is going to show us how to live the Christian life in the context of suffering. Let's get started and gain some much-needed perspective for days like these. Would you please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1? as we have just launched into a study through the book of 1 Peter, and we're learning what it is to respond to tough times. We're reminded of the life that Jesus has promised. You know, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus taught us the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And then Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus promises life. Real, true, abiding, abundant life. And that, a life, that abundant life is yours today by faith. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. The truth of the grace of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That it's not dependent upon your abilities, your efforts, your success, but rather it's dependent upon your surrender and yielding to the finished work of Jesus in your life. Abundant life is ours no matter what's happening around us. And yet, there are also the day-by-day battles, the day-by-day warfare, Right now, in this place, in this moment, there's spiritual warfare both connected to us here, but also online, listening on the radio. There's a raging battle over our enjoyment of the abundant life. (laughs) And that's who Peter's writing to as you come to 1 Peter. He's writing to people who's being challenged by the circumstances of their life. It is overwhelmingly hard for them. It is difficult. And it's come rather suddenly. I mean, they lived under the oppression of the Roman government, but they had sudden changes take place. Losing everything. Losing, not not unlike the group that we're learning about in the book of Hebrews, because of their choice to follow Messiah, every part of their life was challenged. Every part of their life, both personally, familially, within the culture, their career, everything was put into the fire. And notice in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to the pilgrims. I like that. We don't describe ourselves so much as pilgrims 
Truly, when you, here in the United States, when you think of the word pilgrims, you, you can think of Thanksgiving and, and the pilgrims that came. But in reality, the idea of being a pilgrim is a temporary journey. There is a temporary journey. Or pilgrims, you could also think of the word, another word we don't use so much, but very appropriate, is that we're sojourners. We're wandering through. I don't like that word wandering so much because it, it implies that we don't have a destination. But the idea is that this isn't a permanent time for us. That we're just passing through. That we too can be pilgrims because of our, because of our lives. That there is a hope of heaven ahead of us. These particular pilgrims lost everything. And they're in the area of the dispersion because they've been scattered. They've been scattered in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, modern-day Turkey. And they are disrupted and discomforted. And so we have Peter the pastor. Remember the man that was untrained and unlearned. He didn't come with a degree or with what he studied. He came because he spent time with Jesus. When you spend time with Jesus... You will be a changed woman and a changed man. You will have a different perspective. You will have a different attitude. Written around 63 or 64 AD, Peter's pastoring this first century believers through very intense times. Rome was burned to be burned in 64. Nero was the likely suspect. Alive to his danger, he sought for a convenient scapegoat and found one in the infant growing church. And he accused the Christians of that time of starting the fire. And by the time it was quenched, the fire had resulted in the virtual destruction of three of the 14 districts in which the city was divided. So what did Nero do? Nero launched a fearful persecution of the church. And the center of the persecution was in Rome. And just as the fire had spread, so the flames of persecution spread. And I know that we have this sense of wanting things to get back to normal in our current trial. And we have a sense of wanting to go back to the way it was. But church, I need to warn you that things can get harder as well. That things can get more difficult in the persecution. Jesus said it would be so. Jesus said, if they hate me, then they also will direct their hatred toward you. This isn't a surprise to any of us. We may be shocked in the mechanism, and we may be shocked in the timing. You know, we would think, you know, I, I know if you look back and listen to some of the Bible studies I've shared over the last 20 years, and we would talk about the persecution. I would always say something like, I don't know when it's going to come here. We're not experiencing like our brothers and sisters around the world, but it could come in my lifetime. I would say something. It could come in my lifetime. Well, guess what? It's coming in our lifetime. We're experiencing persecution in our country with the laws that we have, the republic that's been established in ways that no other generation's experienced. And yet we also live in a nation that has turned their back upon God. We live in a nation that has legalized abortion. We live in a nation that tries to name the name of God, but in many ways wants to remove God from every facet of culture. And as judgment comes upon a nation, all who live in the nation will suffer. And sometimes Christians will be blamed. The ones that, that seek the best of our community. 
I mean, what was on your lips tonight as you were seeking God? Was it for your personal prosperity? Was it for you to win the lottery? Was it for you to somehow be famous and be a celebrity? No, I know it was on your lips because we all prayed the same thing in unity tonight. We prayed that God would use us to bring the gospel into our community. We prayed for a sensitivity to care about the hurting and the broken. We prayed that once a person takes a step in Jesus Christ and is born again, what do we pray? We prayed that we would be available to them, to train them, to encourage them, or the Bible word is to disciple them, to befriend them as they become a part of a brand new family that is very, very new and unusual for some folks. It's very unusual what we're, we're used to it. We live in the family of God, but even then we have our unusual moments, do we not? And what else was on your lips? Well, your lips, you, some of you were praying, I want to go on shore. I want to take the gospel somewhere else. I want to I encourage, God, would you use me to be an encouragement to people that are on the field right now, people I know personally? God, would you help us as a church fulfill your mandate to be missionaries? Not just missionaries around the world, but first in Jerusalem. You read it in Acts 1.8. First in our home base. It starts right in our front room, in our houses, in our families. And then we prayed, didn't we not? We said, no, then take us to the city in Aurora. And then let's not forget Denver and Lakewood and Golden. Let's not forget Colorado on the west side and on the eastern plains and the western slope. Oh, let's not forget about the United States and certainly not forget about the world. That was what the church was doing tonight. Praying for the peace of our city. Praying that we might be used, in some cases, at great personal sacrifice so that we might obey God's call upon our lives. And even still, there will be resistance and persecution to the church. We will face the wrath of man because their primary hatred is not toward us, but toward the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And he said it would be so. Nero, the, the persecution as you study it, was devastatingly harmful and harsh. In AD 67, war broke out with the Jews, a war that would end finally in the demise of the Jewish state. Nero ended up committing suicide in AD 68 at the age of 32 in the 14th year of his reign. Peter's first epistle seems to have been written sometime between 63 and 67. Possibly before, maybe after, but anticipating that things are not going to get better in the physical realm. You see, the Holy Spirit knows, as Peter's writing to the pilgrims of the dispersion, the Holy Spirit knows that in a few years it's going to be worse and more challenging and instead of putting out the fires, Nero will order Christians to be burned. And he'll use them to light his own gardens. 500,000 plus Christians will be used in Rome as scapegoats. The citizens of the city wasn't merely a man, but the man, the government, the leadership in government. Remember, when you mention government, government is always men and women. And there are only two types of men and women in the world today. There are believers and unbelievers. There's not a third option. So our government is either run by believers or unbelievers. But also remember when you think of government, number one, think of people. But also number two, think of systems. Think of systems. Systems to control. 
And systems can be so powerful and so strong that can even drown out a Christian testimony where the system is more powerful than the person. That's why our hope is not in man and our hope is not in systems. Our hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father, and it is finished. It is complete. And he is faithful. According to historian Severus, he writes, and I quote, In the meantime, the number of Christians began to grow. And it happened that Rome was destroyed by fire, while Nero was stationed at Antium. But the opinion of all cast the brunt of causing the fire upon the emperor. And he was believed in this way to have sought for the glory of building a new city for himself. And in fact, Nero could not, by any means he tried, escape from the charge that the fire had been caused by his orders. So he therefore turned the accusation against the Christians, and the most cruel tortures were accordingly inflicted upon the innocent. Nay, even the new kinds of death were invented so that being covered in the skins of wild beasts, they perished by being devoured by dogs, while many were crucified or slain by fire. And not a few were set apart for this purpose, that when the day came to a close, that they should be consumed to serve for light during the night. In this way, cruelty first began to be manifested against the Christians. Afterwards, too, their religion was prohibited by laws which were enacted, and the edicts openly set forth was proclaimed unlawful to be a Christian. And their response was to be scattered as a herding, afflicted, oppressed believers in order to save their lives. The government turned wildly against them. And Peter was used to encourage them and uplift them. It's not easy to be a Christian in the world today. It's very challenging to stand up for what is right. To live life in such a way where we let our light so shine. Where we truly are the salt of the earth. This world is not made for the Christian witness. It's antagonistic toward the gospel. The world and its culture, and I've been using this word pretty regularly, is hostile to the Christian. Actively. They make fun of us. They sue us. They harass us. They accuse us of hatred. They suggest that we bring no good to our communities. Governments shut down gatherings. They try, attempt to stop Christians from singing. They have attempted to try to remove Bibles from our hands. I mean, it's wild. At high school or college, when you go to work, even when you go to the supermarket, there are dozens and dozens of attacks upon our Christian faith. Words attack us. Images attack us. World system is attacking us. The world's values. But Jesus said it would be so. I know I don't need to explain these things to you because you have your own testimony. But Jesus said it would be so. He warned us ahead of time. Even I'm reminded at times where the disciples were often told about his death and his resurrection. He taught them about his death and his resurrection. He would say, I'm going to the cross, but I'll rise again. He would repeat that over and over again. And what did the disciples stop at? He's going to die. He's going to die. We're going to lose Jesus. And however they processed it. And it's as if they were selectively hearing, not wanting to hear of the good that would come out of his death. Not being able to even conceive that. 
And it seems as if we too can have similar selective hearing. Says, I put you in this world. I'm going to use you in this world. I I have a call upon your life. I've given you spiritual gifts. You will, Jesus, you will make a difference. You will go into all this world and preach the gospel. You will make disciples. You will baptize them. And we say, yes, yes, yes. And then we have to remember, because we so conveniently forget, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. And we love that. Be of good cheer, Jesus says. Yes. Yay, we're good cheer. Yes. We love you, Jesus. Let's rally. Let's sing. Let's excite. Yes, we love you, Jesus. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But he didn't say that first. That wasn't the first thing. In this world, you have tribulation. It's coming. It's come for the group, the believers that are being addressed here by Peter of the hardness and difficulty where you sometimes feel like you just don't belong. Like this world's not your home. And that there's a challenge in us because we want this world to be our home. There's many things about this world that we like, even in its fallen nature. Many things to celebrate, many things to laugh about, many things to enjoy. But this world's not our home. You ever feel like you're an army of one? (laughs) That you're all alone? Some of you are unequally yoked. You're going to go home to a very difficult home tonight. Some of you are single. You're going to go home to an empty home tonight. Some of you are just stopping in and you're going to go to a very difficult workplace tonight. Some of you had a very, very hard day and you're going to have a hard time sleeping tonight. It's a hard life that we live. And it can feel at times where we're the only one that ever speaks up. We're the only one that ever speaks the truth. That we're the only one in the workplace and in our neighborhood and in our family that's an outspoken Christian. I mean, you know there are other believers somewhere, but you never really hear from them much. It's like Elijah. Remember, Elijah had that feeling, man, I'm all alone. I'm all alone. I'm all alone. And God had to remind him, no, Elijah, I've got a lot of people reserved in this city. You're not alone, except that it feels that way at times. It's not easy to stand up for what is right in a dark culture. It's much easier to not stand up because you don't want to come off as some religious nut, you know, overboard. You don't want to be accused another time of being a part of a cult So there you are at work, that little dirty joke is told, and you might just choose to laugh along with everyone else because you don't want any more attention. You might overlook that little indiscretion, fear of coming off more holy than thou. You you may have no problem reading your Bible in the car, but you'll never be caught with a Bible at your desk. Because it's just little things that even our culture, not even heavy persecution, but just regular persecution, regular pressure, just making more and more the voice of the believer to be drowned out. But the truth is this. If you're looking for acceptance and a sense of belonging anywhere other than in Jesus Christ, you will be discouraged. If you're looking for acceptance and a sense of belonging anywhere else than Christ, you'll be discouraged. Because as a believer in Christ, you're not going to be happy any place on earth unless you're around God's people. (laughs) That's going to be the place where the greatest, not only will you get happiness, but joy at the same time. You'll get real encouragement and what the Bible calls edification. You experience real koinonia. That's the Greek word for the English word translated fellowship. 
Now, it's not just talking about the latest sports scores or the the latest uh, car or the latest hobby where we can enjoy time together talking about those things. But the Bible speaks of a deeper relationship you can share believer to believer. It's beautiful. You connect on the most deepest level spiritually. When you're around God's people, there's an understanding Some of you, when you were praying, even today, perhaps you didn't get a chance to pray because we ran out of time. But as you were listening to others pray in your circle or behind you or in front of you, it encouraged you. There are times when I'm praying as a voice might catch my attention and I'm listening to them pray. I'll get so caught up when they're praying, I'll forget what I'm praying. Because I'm just so encouraged what's on their heart. I'm just so encouraged of what God is stirring from them. I'm just so encouraged that there would be a sense of you turning your attention and just what's on your heart and what's happening in your life. You're not going to be happy any other place than being around God's people. We're different. We believe different. The church is different than the world. Remember that. The church is different than the world. We make a great error when we copy the world. This world is passing away. We are different. We live differently. We act differently. We talk differently. And we love differently than this world. And I say amen to that. If there's any other amen, you can join me. But I say amen to that. I needed to be different. I was the world before I was born again. Just going along with the current of whatever it was. Being sucked in by the temptations and even the passing pleasures of sin. I needed to live and act and talk and love differently. People might call you weird, but it's not weird, it's normal. It's normal to have a different life. We're learning how to respond to tough times through a study of 1 Peter here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor's message is called Personally Chosen by God. Hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can subscribe to the Abounding Grace podcast there too, AboundingGraceRadio.com. And we also offer an app, which is another great way to listen to Pastor Ed. Just search for Ed Taylor. Pastor Ed, some may find it strange that Peter would spend time talking about being chosen by God to this body of believers that were suffering. Why do you think he addressed that right out of the gate? Well, you know, Larry, identity and purpose, they go hand in hand. And our identity is very important to know who we are, to know our place, our purpose, so vital. So, so to know that, that there is a choice that's been made on God's behalf upon you and me, that no matter where we came from, what family we are a part of, no matter what our financial status is, how smart we might be, well, how many degrees we have or don't have, we have been chosen by God. We, we are His prized possession. Uh, I know it's hard to, to consider that, but this is God's will for your life, for you to know that you're chosen and beloved, a, a real favorite word that Peter uses. And I want to remind you today, especially as you jump into the Bible study, it's, it's just such a beautiful thing to remember our personal, deep, abiding relationship with Jesus. It's beautiful. It, it's strengthening. It's affirming. And we're so grateful to be a small part of all that God's doing in your life. So let's jump in and see what God has for us. Hey, thanks again, Ed. 
Each month, we pick out a book that we think can really help your walk with the Lord and encourage you in the Lord. Here in November, it's Suffering is Never for Nothing by Elizabeth Elliot. We all go through hard times, and the past year and a half have been rough for many of us living through a pandemic. And maybe you're wondering, why doesn't God do something about my suffering? Well, he has, he did, he is, and he will. Elizabeth explains, suffering is never for nothing. God is up to something in and through it all. Learn all about that as you read, suffering is never for nothing. To get a copy for a donation of $25 or more, just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That number again is 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. Calvaryco.store. And we also want to remind you that we are listener-supported. Abounding Grace airs all across the nation on stations like this one. But in order to do this, we look to our listeners to help cover the costs. You can make a secure donation on our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Just click on Donate. Or if you'd rather call, here's the number, 877-30-GRACE. Don't miss a moment of our journey through 1 Peter. I think you're going to be greatly encouraged by it. We'll finish our study, Personally Chosen by God, Monday on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.